Good morning, church. My name is John. I serve as one of the pastors here on staff. A number of years ago, I had started a new job. I was young and kind of just entering ministry. I started a new job, and I was excited about my job. I was about three months in, and my boss comes to me, and he says, I'm I'm feeling the need for a new program, new idea. You, you got anything you're working on? And I said, well, yeah, actually, I got this, this program, this idea I've been thinking about, and this is what it would look like, and this is when it would start. And I even gave him a name that I had come up with for this, this program. I was really excited about it, and my boss was engaging with me. We were interacting, and he was taking some notes, and I felt good. I felt, okay, I'm contributing. This is great, you know, really exciting, and a few weeks later, I got an email, and the entire staff got an email, and they said, hey, we're going to have an all-team meeting. We've got some exciting news to share. No idea really what was going on. We all kind of gathered in the conference room, and my boss gets up, and he makes this great presentation about this new program, and it's going to start on this date, and it's going to have this name, and it's going to look like this. And I sat there thinking, he, he's not saying where this idea came from. And I, as I'm sitting there and I'm listening and he's going on and on, I'm like, well, maybe he'll loop me. He looped me in right, okay, no, he didn't loop me in there. May, okay, maybe the Q&A at the end, he'll, he'll have me come up and then, you know, because it's my idea, you know, and I'll answer questions. No, that didn't happen. He, he completely cut me out of the idea. And I sat there so mad. Like, so frustrated. Like, I deserved some credit for what had just happened and this idea, and I, I didn't get any. I mean, I was cut completely out of it, and I, I sat there getting almost, like, physically hot in the moment, like, frustrated, like, come on, man. And then I remember being, like, embarrassed that I was mad, right? Like, come on, be a team player, you know? Like, it's okay. Your idea is going to happen. It was just this this totally frustrating experience. This idea that I, I wasn't getting the credit that was due, and, and even more so, my, my boss wasn't giving the credit either. He was stealing my idea. Have you ever not gotten credit for something that you felt like you deserved? Or have you, have you been on the other side where you didn't give credit when credit was due? This is a, a real common experience. In fact, I googled this week the top five most frustrating things at work. Don't ask me why I was googling that. <laughs> Good, you're awake. I googled that and look at the, the result. The number one thing that pops up, like even before like the links, take credit for other people's work and then talk too loudly on the phone. So it's like this universal human experience. We hate it when we don't get credit for something that we created, and we hate it when people steal our ideas. And if this is so frustrating and su such an important part of the human experience, imagine the credit that's due in our relationship with God. If this is experience exists in our human relationships and is really frustrating and really important there. Think how important it is in our relationship with God. 
giving credit where credit is due, appropriately praising those who deserve it, not stealing the credit or taking credit that isn't due ours. It's an important part. It's not simply something we we laugh about or joke about. It's not something that's just funny up on Google. It's a really important concept. This idea of giving credit, of giving praise where praise is due. I actually think in today's passage, Moses knows this. And so Moses addresses this with the Israelites. If you haven't been with us for the last few months, we've been making our way through the book of Deuteronomy. We started in chapter 1. We're going to be in chapter 9 today. You can turn there in your Bible or on your phone, or, and I'm going to have the words on the screen. The Israelites, we've been following the Israelites. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and now they've made it to the entrance of the promised land. And Moses feels this sense of urgency to teach them a bunch of things about the law and about the covenant and to prepare them to enter the promised land. So picture, for your, in your mind's eye, picture Moses standing on a big rock on the plains of Moab, and all of Israel is gathered in front of him. And I'm going to read chapter 9, verses 1 through 6 this morning. I'm actually going to be in the ESV because I think the ESV translates the passage a little bit better because it focuses on the heart. Moses, standing in front of the people, says, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross the Jordan River today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, who you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. You shall, you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it was because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you, not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you, do, are you going to possess the land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you and that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your, to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. The first thing we need to recognize in this passage is that the Israelites are going to cross the Jordan River and they're going to face a very formidable opponent. They're going to face the Anakim, or in the NIV it says Anakites, the the sons of Anak. Well, who are the sons of Anak? If we go back 40 years previously, when Israel was about to enter the promised land for the first time, the spies went into the land, the 12 spies went into the land, and they came back, and they reported to the people of Israel that the sons of Anak were there. And they described them as giants, huge, massive people. In fact, Anak translates to the idea of being tall-necked or long-necked. These are big, giant people. 
in size. They're also fortified. They have big cities and, and they're a, a formidable people. And Israel initially was very frightened of them and, and they're thinking about them as, now as they're about to enter. Like this, is, this is a real significant opponent. The nations are mightier than them. They are greater than them. And Moses is making it really clear to Israel in this moment that their size, Israel's size, the, the size of their individual people, but also their collective size as a nation is not significant. It's, it's not because of their size that they're going to take the land. It's not because of their, their strength or their wisdom or their fighting expertise, or their training. That is not how they are going to take the land. Moses is making it really clear that the only way that they can defeat this legendary opponent, the sons of Anak, is with God's power, with God's strength. And so he tells the Israelites, yes, God is going to go before you. He is going to thrust the people out. He's going to destroy them and subdue them. And you'll be able to enter the land because God is going before you. He's going to work for you. He's going to accomplish this for you. There's nothing about you, Israel, that's going to get this work done. And then Moses makes it really clear that God's going to do this. He's going to go before them and he's going to drive the people out, subdue them, destroy them, not because of their righteousness. He wants to make it really clear, Israel, you cannot take any credit for this. There's nothing about you, nothing about your righteousness is meriting the favor of God. You cannot merit his favor. He is doing this despite anything that you have done. This is because of God's grace. He says it's not because of your righteousness. It's not because of the uprightness of your heart that you are going to possess the land. See, Moses knows that the temptation of the hearts of the Israelites. So the Israelites' hearts were tempted to take credit for something that wasn't theirs, to not give adequate praise and glory to God. It's the same, he, he knows it's, it's the same as our hearts today, right? We were just talking about at work that we take credit for, I think that's the condition of the human heart. To be tempted to not give praise where praise is due. And so he warns them and he says to them, do not say in your hearts, don't believe, don't turn your heart to thinking that you merited God's favor by your righteousness. Don't say, look at this favor God's given us. Look what he has done for us. He did this because we're so good, because we're so righteous. See, that would be taking credit for something that wasn't theirs to take credit for. It would be taking away from what God has done. See, the clearest teaching here for Israel is that God is not doing this because of anything you did or even who you are. It is his work on his terms because of his will. We can take zero credit, Israel. You can't take credit for any of this. It's not because of your righteousness. Moses goes on to explain then, well, if it's not because of your righteousness at all, why is God doing this? Why is God uh, going before them and allowing them to take the land? 
from the sons of Anak. He gives two reasons. The first reason is for judgment. Moses says, and, and God declares that the people there are a wicked people. They don't honor God. They don't follow him. They worship other gods. All sorts of debauchery is present in Canaan at that time. And God says, I am going to judge the people because of their wickedness. And he uses Israel in part to do that work. So they're being driven out. They're being destroyed. They're on the run because of their wickedness. And Israel is able to go in and subdue them and take possession of the land because of God's judgment on the people. The second thing, the second reason that God is doing this and allowing this to happen is because he wants to fulfill his covenant to Abraham. Back in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 15, God promises to Abraham that one day your descendants will be as many as the stars in the skies and as many as the sand on the seashore, and I'm going to give your descendants, I'm going to make them a great nation, and I'm going to give them the land that's on the other side of the Jordan River, the west side of the Jordan River. He makes that promise to Abraham, and he makes a covenant with Abraham. It's this unique kind of contract, this covenant, this deep, deep connection between God and Abraham and eventually the nation of Israel. In Genesis 26, he goes on to confirm that covenant with Isaac. He tells Isaac the exact same thing he told Abraham, that I'm going to give your people, I'm going to make them a nation, I'm going to give this, them this land. And then he does it again in Genesis uh, chapter 28. He does it with Jacob. And he says, Jacob, you now are the one, your descendants. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are going to get, their people are going to get this land. And so God moves ahead of Israel and he, and he drives the people out because of their wickedness, but also because he's faithful, because he's good and he's faithful. And he, he fulfills his covenant to the people by saying, here is the land, I am giving it to you because I am faithful. So despite this, despite knowing this truth, Moses knows that Israel is a stubborn people and he needs to remind them. He needs to remind them that we don't, that they don't merit the favor of God. That is, this isn't about them and their righteousness, that, that that's why this is happening. And when Moses teaches that, he opens to door, the door to this truth, this truth that is all throughout Scripture, that this relationship with God that we have is never based on our merit. It's never based on our righteousness. We cannot merit the favor of God. We cannot merit this amazing grace that God pours out. We cannot merit the favor of God, certainly not by our righteousness. If we want to bridge from Deuteronomy, this truth about our, that our righteousness cannot merit the favor of God and that God's grace is poured out on us because of nothing that we do or who we are. If we want to make a bridge from Deuteronomy to the New Testament, a great place to do that is with Paul. He writes in the book of Titus, I'd love for you to turn there, Titus 3, verses 3 through 7. The words will be on the screen as well. So as we bridge into the New Testament, Paul says this, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, 
not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Church, God pours his grace out on us. In his grace, he provided for us Jesus Christ, who freed us from who we once were. Slaves to various passions, bound in our sin. Christ breaks those chains. Christ frees us. And it's not because of anything we've merited, because of how great we are. It's because of the grace of God poured out on us. The gift of God's grace. The gift of God's grace poured out to Israel. The gift of God's grace poured out to the church. The gift of God's grace poured out to us today. It's by God's mercy and his mercy alone that we become his heirs. So I don't know about you, but that leaves me with a question. It's like a, like a big question. Well, if that's true, if we don't merit God's favor, if if his grace is just poured out as he desires in his, his wisdom and his faithfulness, then what's the point? Like, why am I here? Why come here to church? Why live a holy life? Why pursue righteousness? Why, does any of this actually matter? Anybody else have that question? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm guessing you do. Why does this matter? Does my life matter? Do I have any purpose? Are we just pawns in some cosmic game of chess that God is playing? Church, absolutely not. We are not just pawns in God's cosmic game of chess. And while we can't twist God's arm and try to somehow merit his favor, forcing him to act by our righteousness, by how good we are, and we can't take credit for anything that he does, we give him all the praise and glory, what we sang about this morning, our lives matter. What we do matters. It has eternal significance. And let me unpack that for us this morning. First, we have real ministry work to do. Real things that matter. Real mission. I see it even in this passage. Even in this passage, Moses says that after God goes before them, he says, Israel, you will drive them out. There's this partnership, right, between what God is doing and that Israel is going to be a part of it. They are linked together. They are working together. God is using Israel to fulfill his promises, to judge the wicked, and to give the land to Abraham's descendants. God is leading and guiding and going before and protecting, but there's this real work There's this real work that we have to do. 
God's kingdom advances. God's mission advances. God's grace goes forth because of the conversations that you have with people that don't know him. That's how it works. God certainly, in his total power and wisdom, doesn't need us. But guys, he chooses to use us. That's how it works. Our prayers matter for the kingdom of God. Our conversations matter for the kingdom of God. Our outreach, our care, our actions matter. That's how it works. God working with us to advance his kingdom. And thankfully, it's not on us, right? Not on our own work and not because we're righteous. We have this God that goes before us, but man, do we get to be a part of it. And it's this beautiful design of this co-laboring, it's called in the New Testament, co-working. Paul writes in Corinthians, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. What that means is don't neglect God's grace. Put it to work. Put it to practice. Be a part of what he's doing. Co-work with Christ. Connect with God. Work together on his mission. It's this beautiful picture of how the kingdom goes forth. The second thing I would say is not only are we a part of doing this, this work and our conversations and our outreach and our events, everything that we're a part of is a part of the mission of God, but it's not simply and not just about the kingdom advancing. It's how we are grown and changed ourselves. Paul writes right after that section in Titus, he writes in Titus 3 verse 8, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And why? Because these things are excellent and profitable for people. There are these good works, church, that we can devote ourselves to. Ephesians says, Paul says in Ephesians, that there's good works prepared for us in advance to do. That God has prepared a work in advance for you to do. What you do matters. He's got something for you to do, a good work that's for you that not only advances the kingdom, but it changes who you are. It is excellent and profitable for you. Your heart becomes shaped more as how God would want your heart to be shaped. You become humbled, and you become more like Christ. These good works are profitable, and they're excellent for us to do it grows us, it changes us, it sanctifies us. As Christ's followers, we're called to do good works. The New Testament is full of sayings like, do good works, be faithful, work hard, commit yourself. Our faith should have deeds, good works. Our faith without deeds is what? Dead. At the same time, our good works should be full of faith because good works without faith are just empty. That's what James says. When we pour ourselves into these good works, when we care for the under-resourced, when we meet with the brokenhearted and comfort them, when we feed the hungry, when we clothe the naked, when we care for the widow and the orphan, we are not simply advancing the kingdom of God in partnership with him, but our hearts are being transformed. We are being made more 
and more like Jesus. Finally, why does this matter? Why live righteously? Why follow God's laws? Why be a part of these good works? God calls us to live righteous and holy lives, not to merit his favor, but because our obedience matters. Our obedience, living righteously and holy, matters. There's real consequences. Holy living honors God. It's a, it's a way that when we follow God's laws and we follow what God has planned for us, and it's a way that we, we say thank you to him and we honor him and we glorify him for what he has done. Our obedience shows that we give him glory and that we're following him, that it's not our own righteousness is because of him. Second reason is it's a witness to a watching world. Following God's way, giving your money away, spending your time caring for those in need, going on a, a trip to the other side of the world to, to empower and strengthen missionaries and share the gospel. These, these strange things that Christians do following God's law, following God's rules, it's, it's, a, it's a witness to a watching world. Why do you do that? Why do you live that way? Why do you go those places and talk to those people? And it's a witness to a watching world. Third, holy living, following God's plan brings us closer to God in a more intimate relationship with him where we understand more about who he is. We understand more about his son Jesus and what he's done for us and why he did it. We become more in touch with our sinfulness, right? And we become more thankful for God's goodness. It brings us into closer relationship with him. And church, our disobedience brings us further away from God. It drives a wedge between us and God not pursuing righteousness, not pursuing holiness. It leaves us feeling disconnected from our creator. It leaves us feeling disobedient and shameful, right? We're not clinging to what Christ has done and feeling free because of what Christ has done. Our obedience matters. We want to live a life clinging to what Christ has done, that he saved us and rescued us. We want to feel that freedom. We want to acknowledge the chains have been broken. and We want to run that race, right? With freedom. Not bound by anything. Church, it matters. How we live matters. It matters because of the mission of God. It matters because it's how we are sanctified. It matters that we live holy because it's how we honor God, witness to the world. It's how we experience him. It matters. Giving credit where credit is due, right? Giving him all the glory and all the praise, not because of our righteousness has he done anything, but the goodness of his grace on our lives. Let me pray. Father God, we love you. Thank you for your word in Deuteronomy. Thank you for Paul's words as well that encourage us. God, I pray that each of us will hear a clear call 
to live for you, to give you all the glory and all the praise. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, would you stand? We're going to sing. There's some folks, Sarah March and Kelly Brady. If you'd like prayer uh, this morning, love for you to come, come down front and get prayed for. There's a lot of things that, can, uh, that need prayer. School's starting up. Family dynamics are going to change. There's lots of things going on in our lives, so I'd love for you to come forward. Kelly and Sarah will be up here and would re- love to receive you in prayer.